couple weeks, we have diverged a little bit from our, our typical MO of working through a book just kind of chapter by chapter. Um, and so for the month of December, we're, we're hitting on a few specific topics. Um, the first Sunday back in January, we'll be back in a new book and we'll begin the new year um, working through a book. So what we've done the last two weeks is we've looked at um, four of Redeemer's six kind of core values, things that we want to be marked by not the only things of significance, but that we want to be gospel-centered. We want to live lives on mission. We want to be a church that is reflective of our community, um, that we, we see that the gospel is for everyone in every stage, in every ethnicity, in every situation, um, and that we want to be simple in doing this. And this morning, um, we're only going to look at one core value. Um, and so we're going to look at our desire to be plural in leadership, Specifically, we're going to talk about um, elders this morning, um, the role of elders. And so I think if, if, if we're not careful, um, you hear that, and your first question is, is maybe why does it matter? Um, and specifically, why should I care um, if I'm not going to be an elder, right? Or if I'm not currently an elder. Obviously, they don't care, right? <laughs> um, you know, so why does it, why would it matter? Why would we care about this topic at all? Why would Redeemer have made this one of our core values even? Um, and, and so I think maybe where we start to make sure that we, we can kind of stay on the, on the train together this morning is this, is that, that would be the same logic that we might bring into to marriage if you're saying, hey, it really doesn't matter what kind of wife I have because I'm not going to be the wife, Right? Obviously, you would say that's, that's insane, like the, the type of wife you're going to marry or the type of husband, um, it, it, right, is, is, it matters significantly, even though you're not going to play that role um, ever in the marriage, that, that that role matters greatly. Or if you think about it in regards to the medical field, if you're saying, yeah, it really doesn't matter what doctor I have, right, I'm not going to be the doctor, well, it, it, it actually matters greatly as to whether you trust that doctor, whether you're going to follow that doctor's wisdom and guidance and counsel, um, whether you're going to feel safe or not, like that those things matter tremendously. Um, and so some of you may aspire to eldership, um, others may not, but I think that this is an issue that, that matters to all of us as believers. Another reason that it does um, beyond um, the obvious is the list of qualifications that elders are given. There are only two in the list that aren't qualifications just for believers, right? And so as we walk through the list of qualifications, it's basically saying, hey, here's what it looks like to be a Christian. Oh, and by the way, elders are going to be that, and then they're going to do a couple things. But for the most part, as we walk through it, it is a good, healthy reminder for all of us of what a believer's life should look like. Um, a third reason is because church family, you are to provide accountability to your elders, Right? that the Bereans in Acts 17, right, it was because they, would, they were willing to continue to go back to the Word to judge what they were being taught and what they were hearing through preaching of the apostles to say whether or not it made sense. And not only did it make sense, but was it taught in Scripture, right? That part of the job is, is not to say, well, that's not my job, so you just do it, but it's to provide accountability, to know what you're looking for, to know whether or not you should trust um, the, the leadership that has been placed over you. And then ultimately, I think if we're not careful, it's, it's easy to take something like this for granted. If you think about um, if you grew up in a home 
where, where mom and dad were present, um, where there was enough finances, like that wasn't a concern, at least for you as a kid, you weren't aware of it. Um, if you were just like provided like with opportunity, a safe home, like you could take that for granted. And it might not have been until you were a teenager, most likely as an adult or a parent yourself, that you looked back and go, man, I really took my mom and dad for granted, <laughs> right? Like I really did not know the, like the, 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 the gift they had given me in simply creating like some normalcy. And so you were aware of the lack of peace or the lack of unity in some families. But when you had it, it's just like, well, yeah, that's, that's what our family does. That the Lord has been really gracious to Redeemer so far in our seven and a half years. And there's um, a sense of, of oneness, of unity, of, of like pushing in the same direction of making Jesus primary. That if we're not careful, it'd be really easy to take it for granted. And I think for a lot of us who have been in other churches, we understand that that's, it, we can't take it for granted, that it's possible to be in churches where those things aren't there. We can't assume that just because we throw church on the door that it means that everything's going to be, like, great. And so we, we don't want to live um, taking these things for granted. We want to see God's grace. We also want to know what it is that we're supposed to be looking for, what it is that we should, if, whether we're at Redeemer or somewhere else. A couple things also, there's a couple issues here that could be sermons um, themselves. Um, I understand that we're just going to kind of, we're going to hit on it and we're going to move on. And so if you want to talk about this in greater detail, um, we will, we, I'm more than happy to do that with you. It's just not where we're going to land this morning. Um, and so we're going to kind of hit it and, and move on. But the first is this, is that the role of elders um, as taught by Scripture is, is for men only. It's not a popular thought. It's not a popular opinion. Um, in, our, in our day and age, and it's not, I want you to hear me say this, it's not um, by any fault of women. It is simply by the design of, of, our good, of our good God. That he has set out this role uniquely and solely for men. Now, Scripture then pretty much says everything else, men and women. And so this is not an issue of worth. It's not an issue of value. It's an issue of, of role and of function. And so, again, I'm, I'm, we're going to hit on some things that you may be like, wait a second, I have an objection, I want to talk about that. Feel free. But we would, here at Redeemer, we would see the role of deacon as, as being open to men and women. The, the Scripture does not um, disqualify women from that. Um, the, only, the only area where it is, is in the role of elders. But here's the thing, if you're going to have elders, and you're going to limit it to men, as we believe Scripture says, then they better be men where women can flourish underneath them. Where, where, where women are heard, where they're safe, right? Where they have a voice, where they're allowed to, 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 to lead and to serve in the roles that God has uniquely gifted and equipped them for. And so, right, in, in healthy marriage, right? A husband doesn't keep the ball all the time. Like, he's, he's the one passing the ball. If his wife has giftings in, in places where she excels, then she takes the lead in that. Like, that, that's him giving her, in, in his leadership, he's saying, you lead in this because I'm telling you this is what, you're better at this than me. Right? And so we want to, to be a church that is healthy and whole, a place that it is safe for, for everyone, right? That everyone feels heard, that everyone has a voice, but that the the role of elder would be for men alone. And I know, again, we could spend a sermon series on that. And so we're going to move on. And I mean it. If you want to talk about that, please do. Um, a second is this, is I think in our area of the country, 
there's a little bit of fear, or if maybe not fear of just ignorance as to what a, the role of an elder even is. Most of the churches in this area don't have them, so there's a little bit of lack of information. I grew up in a church that did not have elders, and, and basically the perception I had was kind of like this shadowy force, right, that like was watching from on high, right, that you're like, man, don't cross them, right? You didn't even, you weren't even sure if you knew who they were. It was like, like this nebulous agency that was just like the church elders, like, wait, who is it? Like, it was just a group, like, right? And, and so you were, you were maybe fearful of it. Um, maybe you just assumed it was the oldest people in the church, right? Um, that they were the ones who, they were grumpy, and they didn't, they didn't like anything, and they were opposed to everything, and, you know, they're the ones who said, yeah, don't bring coffee in here, like that, those type of things, right? And so that's, that's not where we're at. Um, that's not what we're going to be talking about. Hopefully we can clear some of that up. And then ultimately, um, some of the confusion regarding this topic would also be that a lot of churches um, call a role deacon, and then they act as the biblical role of elders, and so it gets fuzzy there. And so we're not going to talk specifically about deacons, but the two offices that the scriptures give us are elders and deacons. And elders, um, and we will look at this in far more detail here in a minute, lead right? Like they serve the church by leading things. Where deacons, their, their primary role is they serve like in physical needs, and in, in, in physical capacities in different ways. Um, and so just to give you an example of what this looks like, um, and it's an example I use it in membership class often, is for years, Sean, who doesn't even have one of the two front mics, has served this church um, in, in the role of deacon, whether he had the title or not, by serving this band. That, that he's the one that's, that is praying through and selecting songs. He's the one making sure practice happens. He's the one making sure the band is being discipled. Like he's, he's leading and you wouldn't even know it. Right? Like that's the role of a deacon, that they're, they're taking an, an, a need in the church and serving so that um, the elders, the pastors, which are um, interchangeable titles there, can lead out in, in teaching and in prayer um, in those roles. And so it's not a, an issue of which one's more important, it's just a different function and different role. Um, so the first thing I want us to do this morning is simply to ask the question, so who are elders? And so if you want to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 Timothy chapter 3, you'll if you see First and Second Corinthians, and then you'll have the bunch of little books, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, keep going to the right. If you see Hebrews, go back to the left. It's kind of stuck in there. First Timothy 3. Beginning in verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, which is elder, pastor, all interchangeable words there, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit 
and fall into the condemnation of the devil. And moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. If you're interested, um, Titus 1 also has a list of qualifications that is Paul writes um, to Titus. Um, so the first thing I want us simply to note here is that, that the role of elder is not singular, it's plural. And so just a, a smattering of verses from Scripture. Um, in Acts 11.30, Paul writes to the elders, plural, at the church of Antioch. In Acts 14.23, Paul and, and Barnabas were appointed, sorry, they appointed elders in every church as they were on their missionary journey. Um, in Acts 15, multiple verses, and in 16.4, we see the elders at the church in Jerusalem. Um, in Acts 20, the elders at the church of Ephesus. Um, in Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, he writes um, the, the church to their, to their elders, like to their multiple leaders. 1 Timothy 5, elders at the church of Ephesus. Titus 1.5, Titus is to appoint elders in every town. James 5, call the elders to pray for you. 1 Peter 5, the elders among you. 1 Thessalonians 5, the congregation is to respect its leaders, plural. We see this also in Hebrews 13, that we don't really see any instances in, in Scripture in the New Testament where it's like, hey, that's the guy. Like, that's the pastor. But that Paul is constantly saying, we want to raise up elders, plural, to lead the churches in whichever place, in whichever city that we have. Um, I, so, I'm one of the elders, one of the elders at Redeemer. I'm not over them. They don't answer to me. I'm, I'm simply a part of the group. I'm one of them. I don't get an extra vote. My vote doesn't count as like one and a half times. Like, well, I get that you think that, but I'm the guy. Like, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't work like that. And I think sometimes there can be that perception that the, that the one you see up front the most, and, and obviously I do um, the majority of the preaching, like, well, then he just gets to run things. And that's, that's not the way it is. Um, it, it, plural provides some protection, right? There's some checks and balances because I don't know if you know this, I'm not Jesus, right? And so I'm, that means I'm a sinner, and it means I don't have all the giftings, and it means I don't have all the, um, the, the talents or the ability that Jesus had, which means then that we're, if, if I'm the guy, then we're lacking. And so we need others to come along to fill those areas where there's, right, if, because then if we cover weaknesses, the weaknesses are less and the strengths are greater. There's cumulative experience and wisdom. Um, it, it provides protection because we're still sinners who are going to fail and fall and we're being refined. And so if, if I'm the guy, which so glad I'm not, but if I am, how honest can I be about my own sin? Not very Right, because then it's like, who, who do we go to next? And so, there, the fact is, is you all know, if you look at your past year, you've had seasons in that year where you were doing great, and you've had seasons where you were struggling. And, and if, if it's just you, right, it, it's dangerous. But if we're together, right, we're not all, like not everyone at Redeemer is having a bad week at the same time. And not everyone's having a good week. And so what we're able to do is we're able to bear one another's burdens. And we're able to pray for one another and to encourage one another and to say, it won't always be like this. But if it's just me alone, dark things grow in the dark. Right? 
and arrogance and pride and things like that happen. And instead, what it does is it provides protection because my sin can be known and there's men that I'm being held accountable to. And, and they can say, hey, we know you well enough to know something's off right now. What is it? And then I don't have to hide or pretend and they don't have to hide or pretend. There's more wisdom. There's more accountability. The workload is shared. And so what we want to break away from is that there's not like, hey, if Jeremy comes, you got the pastor and anyone else is JV. Right? Like, man, I pray that that's not the way things are perceived here. And so often when I'm not preaching, I I want it to be on weeks where I'm not gone. I want to be here. Because I want to remind us that it's not just that, hey, we only get someone to fill in when Jeremy has to unfortunately be gone. But that we, we believe, right, that people, like whoever's up here, the elders have said, we believe what they have to preach and to say this morning is from the word of God for the good of his people and for the glory of his name. And that God is speaking to folks beyond myself. We know that. Right, like that, that many of you, you were, you were ministered to by Jake just a few moments ago in his, in his honest appraisal of his year and of how the Lord has ministered to him. Like the Lord has obviously spoken to him. And so we, we want people to be known and loved, and it, what it means is the workload is shared and so that the pastoring is being done by multiple people on multiple levels, right, so that people are cared for and taken care of. And so ultimately, we want to be plural in our leadership. And what that looks like is it's, it's us together as elders leading as one, right? With one heart and with one voice, even though we have differing thoughts and opinions. And so Paul lays out some qualifications here, and I just want to walk through them. He begins in verse 1 saying, If anyone aspires to the office of elder, he desires a noble task. One of the, the unique aspects of this role is that you should want it. That if, I have to, if we have to come and say, hey, we want you to be an elder, you're like, I don't want to. And we're like, no, you're going to be. Like, that, that's, that's, that's not appropriate. Because there's, a, there's an aspiration to it. Now you're thinking, yeah, that's right. And it's dangerous. Because who wouldn't want to be king, right? Who wouldn't want power? And what we have to re- be reminded of here is that you're not aspiring to be king, that you're aspiring to lead by serving, right? Like that you're coming underneath and you're saying, I'm, I want to walk with you in the hard days. And we were reminded of, of Mark 8 that Jesus says, like, I came not to be served, but to serve. And if the role of elder has been played as the king in churches that you're a part of, I'm sorry because that's not what it's meant to be. It's meant to be a, a, this, this role of saying, hey, look at Jesus. Look at him. And I want to, I, I love him, and I, and I long for him, and I desire him, and don't look at me, look at him. Like that we would consistently and constantly be saying that. And so the role is to serve and is to be sacrificial as Jesus served his people, his bride, and was sacrificial up even to his death. And so it's not aspiring to be boss, it's aspiring to serve and to sacrifice, because there's so many, we will move through these um, quickly this morning. Therefore, in verse 2, an overseer, an elder, must be above reproach. Above reproach, um, what, what Paul is saying here is this. There's just not this glaring sin issue, right? It's not that he's saying they're, they're perfect. It's just that there's, there's not this, like, glaring week in and week out, like, and you, like, get angry and blow up at people all the time, 
right? Or you are constantly struggling with lying, right? Like he's just saying there's not this glaring, obvious, habitual sin issue. It's not that he's saying they're perfect, but that, that you're above reproach, that someone doesn't have something on you that they can, they can use to kind of to twist you or to say, hey, I, we like you except in this area. That he should be the husband of one wife. Now, there's a lot of disagreement and discussion as to what Paul means here. Some will say it means you have to be married. Some will say, right, that, but, but we know that's not the case. And here's how we know it's not the case. Jesus wasn't married. Paul was single. Right? That we know that, that is, as they talk about this, that he's not saying that unless you're married, you can't be an elder. What he's saying is this, that you better be a one-woman man. Right? That, that you're, not, you're not a flirtatious guy. Um, you're not struggling with pornography. Right? You're not pursuing other women. You're not using some sort of... Um, control or, or, or maybe charisma that you have to manipulate women, that you have eyes for your wife, if you have one, her and her alone, that no one doubts your faithfulness with her, your propriety with her. The people would look and say, right, because we are, we are meant to be reflecting the character of God. And we think about the way that Jesus pursued his bride, the church, right, that he didn't have eyes for anyone else. Like he pursued her, and that we are to reflect that by pursuing and loving our wives. To be sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, right? This idea of, of just being temperate, of being balanced, of, of nothing in excess. And so this is someone who in their life, maybe they enjoy exercise, right? But exercise isn't their idol. It's not their God. They, they're able to like take it or leave it, in their hobbies that they're able to pursue, but it doesn't consume them. They're able to take them or leave them. In regards to food, right, that they're not controlled by food or by drink, that they have the ability to show self-control in their life, that they're temperate, that they're balanced, that they're respectable. Verse 2 also says that they're hospitable. This idea of being hospitable is, is not Martha Stewart here, okay? It's not saying that their house is like, you know, it's nice. Look at how they set the table for you. It's saying that they love people and that especially the lost enough to have them in their home. That their life has been opened up to people and they're saying, come be a part of my life because I long for you to see Jesus, to know him and to love him and to trust him that they're making space in their life for others to know him. And I want us to be reminded as we're working our way through the, this list, these are things and qualifications for believers, right? That it's not just that the elders, husband, or the elders are supposed to look at their wives and, and know other women. It's what all Christian men are supposed to do. That we're all supposed to be respectable and sober-minded, that we should all have enough love for one another and for the lost, that we are making space to include them in our lives. And so then we go on, and the last one in verse 2 is one of the things that, that distinguish um, the elders from simply believers, is the ability to teach. All right? Now, you notice Paul doesn't say there's a certain quota in your ability to teach. 
but he's saying it's, it's the ability to rightly divide the Word of God, the ability to use doctrine to encourage and to pastor and to shape and to shepherd, that when, that when you follow them, that you're not going, I have no idea what he's, I know he's got the Bible in his hands, but I can't, I have no clue what he's saying. Because the fact is, is any believer could stand up and talk about Scripture, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to pierce you, right? That it's going to affect you, that you're able to follow it. And so it, it's finding that balance of, it's not, it's not on this seminary level to the point where you're like, it may be true or not, I just don't understand any words in that sentence. Or the ability to say, man, we'll just let the Lord sort them out. Right? That they take the word and they're able to pastor and to shape and to shepherd folks with the word. That they have right doctrine. That they use it in every aspect, in every area of life. And so the ability to teach may play out in preaching. But it also happens in gospel communities. It also happens across dinner tables. It also happens with your wife and with your children. It also happens with, with folks um, across right, a dinner table with believers and unbelievers. It's the ability to take what God has taught and, and give it back in a way that is understandable and useful. We continue. He's not a drunkard. He's not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome. This idea here of not violent but gentle, if not quarrelsome, man, we don't want bullies. Right? Folks who take their title or their role or, and then and attempt to demean or to control, right? to force issue. Those who like, love to run to conflict because they have right, the sword of truth and they have a title and they're just going like, to eviscerate you. But we also don't want people who are afraid of conflict. Right? That's, that's what gentle has to do with this. That's like why we want them not to be quarrelsome, that, that you cannot be afraid to deal with hard issues. But you can't want to love to do that. Right? You can't say, man, I want to just stir some stuff up, see what happens, and, right, just, I like to fight, I like to argue. But we also don't want someone that goes, oh, at the first sign of, like, blood, the first sign of, like, there's some tension in the room, they're like, I'm out of here, right? Like, there's this balance here of, of caring for folks enough to walk through hard, intense situations, but that they're not loving to run into conflict. Paul continues. The end of verse 3, he's not a lover of money. You notice Paul doesn't say he can't, that, you know, an elder can't be rich, he can't have money, he can only have this amount of money, he can't make money, he can't be good with money. He says you can't be a lover of money. What Paul is saying is this, is that you under, it's people who understand that money is what it is. It's a tool, and it's useful, but they're not owned by it. They're not controlled by it. They're not bought. They're not trying to buy people, right? And I mean that not figuratively, not literally, right? Like that they're, that they're not using money as a means to manipulate and to control and to affect relationships, that they're not being, like, on a yo-yo, whether they have money or not, is, is whether they're up or down. But they trust the Lord for their provision. And again, this is a reminder to all of us, not just for elders. Verse 4. So he must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive. All right. 
So he's supposed to manage his own household, right? It means he's taking care of, of, of the first church that he's been given. This, this responsibility, even prior to, before the church, is to care for his family. And you notice it says he wants to keep your children submissive, and you're like, well, there's a lot of ways to do that. And so Paul says, with all dignity. This isn't about being an authoritative, right? Like, the belt's just off, right? Like, come at me. But it, it's learning, how do, I, how do I manage my household well? That I'm serving them. That I am sacrificing for them. That they're getting time and attention. That they're known and that they're loved and that they're served. That they would want to follow me. That they would flourish under me. Right? That if that's not happening at home, why would we expect it to happen in a larger setting, in a, in a larger circumstance with more people, with adults and not even children? He must manage his own household well. We, we're reminded that you cannot save your own children. You can't make them believers. But that are you pointing them to Jesus regularly? Do they trust you? Do they respect you? Do they want to follow you? And look, kids... Like, man, you, you look at Jude right now, right? And you're going, man, he wants to fight you a lot, <laughs> right? But that we're shaping, right? And we're molding. And, right, the, the prayer would be, is that Jesus is going to save him? And that until that happens, that he is learning to trust and to respect the authority that God has placed over him because we're sacrificing and we're serving and we're consistent and we're loving with all dignity, keeping children submissive. Paul goes on, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Right? If you're unwilling to sacrifice at home for the, the, this small group that God has given you, why would you sacrifice for more? Right? Like the, the, the role of parent is often thankless. But you do it because they need it. So he's like, don't come running for a title if you're not willing to just serve people. If you're not willing to sacrifice your own time and energy and money and effort to love your family well. You do that, now let's talk about whether you aspire to eldership or not. Verse 6, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with seat and fall into the conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Right? You want someone, it's not saying that an, an unbelief, like a new believer, like lacks some element of salvation. But look, until you've faced some life, loss, and experience, and hardship, now in Christ as a new creation, you don't know how you're going to respond. And we're seeing, are they being transformed? When life sucker punches them now in Christ, where before, here's how they would have responded. Do we see them trusting Jesus in this? Do we see them being transformed and different? Do we see them still able, when hard stuff comes, for them to say, Jesus is still good? Instead of, well, I thought I was promised ease and comfort for the rest of my life. Forget this. Right? Like the, the danger of putting a new convert in is saying, you don't know. You don't know how they're going to respond. We, we want some track record here of just faithfulness in the midst of good circumstances and good days and in the midst of the inevitable hard days as well. Job loss and death, 
sickness, infertility, struggle, financial issues, betrayal, right? Folks leaving the church, right? Like, how do they respond to hurt, to people talking about them? We have to be able to answer that. And if we don't know, then it probably hasn't been long enough. And then he says this, verse 7, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. What he's saying here is those who are not in the church, what's their opinion of him? What's, their reputa- what's his reputation like? And look, here's the thing. We're not expecting the unbelievers to go, I agree with everything that he thinks, right? Or they probably wouldn't be unbelievers at this point. But is he, is he viewed as a hypocrite? Is he thought of as like, man, that dude's a jerk. I, I hear he goes to church, but I hate him. Because you know how he treats me? He looks down on me. He thinks he's better than. Right? Like, that's not the, the demeanor or the reputation that we're looking for. We're looking for someone who is consistent, who is respected. That if someone says, you know what? I don't like his politics because, you know, because he's conservative, because he loves Jesus, and that means he thinks this about these things. Man, but the dude loves his wife, and he would be here for me in any moment. Right? Like, that's what we're talking about. That they're well thought of by others because they're consistent, because they're looking like Christ, because they're reflecting his character and his glory. And so as we walk through this list that are very specific, and it can almost look like morality, we have to be reminded of a couple of things. Elders are imperfect. They will fall, and they will fail. And so then the question is, do they lead out in repentance? Or do you have to, like, drag them before people and say, you hurt me. You sinned against me, and now you're using your title to hold this over me? No, like, that when they're aware of sin, that they're the first to call it sin, to repent and to say, look, I'm going to seek out forgiveness, and I'm going to make things right. That if, if you see something to, to praise or to laud or to congratulate in an elder, that would we be reminded this morning that you're simply seeing the character of Christ reflected in them? It's not that that man has all of a sudden been elevated to some other status. It's that you're seeing Jesus in them. That Jesus is the one that we follow, the one that we trust, the one that we worship. And so Jesus is the one who is transforming them into his image for his glory. And then has gifted them to local bodies to lead and to serve and to guide. And so there should be serious humility, not swagger, not pomp. Like you don't walk in going, that's right, you know who I am. But with humility and with gravity, knowing that you will stand before the Lord for how you have loved and shepherded and pastored and known his bride, his church, his people. That there is weight to this, humility to this. That being said, Right, that's, that's, that is a quick run-through of what an elder should look like. We want you to, to know this and, and to have this, right? So that, and we want to call titles, like people by the titles the Scripture gives, so that when you say, hey, here's who's the, who are the elders at Redeemer, that you can say, do they look like this? Is this what they look like? Because this is the standard and this is the expectation, right? And so... Um, Redeemer doesn't have a set number like, like that we have to fill a board or something like that. Currently, um, Rex is an elder. I'm an elder. 
um, TV, um, has been an elder for our history. He's currently on sabbatical, taking um, a break. And then Paul Rayburn is, has been in the process now for the last couple of years. Right, well, we're just watching him. He's, he's reading. He's studying. We're seeing, man, are, is, this, is this the place you want to be? Is this the place that you want to pastor? Enough time to watch him in, in good times and in hard times. What we would want is that at any moment when the church would say, hey, here's who we want to present to you as a new elder, that you wouldn't say, really? If that's the response, then we've done something wrong, right? That there's not these unilateral decisions, that, right, that someone is living this and doing this even without a title, that they're living it and pastoring and shepherding whether you ever give them a title or not. It's why like, I'm so like, thankful for the role that Sean has played here and just playing the role of a deacon. It didn't care whether anyone ever knew it or called him that. Like, that's what we're talking about. And so Paul has been in elder meetings, um, right? He's been pastoring. And so at the beginning of the year, we would like to install Paul as an elder here at Redeemer, officially a new pastor. But here's, we got two weeks left in the year, a little over two weeks. We want to make sure that he's well thought of by you and by outsiders. So we've, we've talked, right, to people. We, we've, we've gotten his reputation. We've heard it. But we don't want to assume that we know everything. And so Paul knows I'm doing this this morning, but if you have reason that you think, hey, he actually doesn't, he's not this, there's a biblical disqualifier, then we're going to ask you in the next two weeks to do two things. First, take your issue that is a biblical, quali- like a biblical disqualifier to him, right? Like that's what Scripture calls us to, and also to tell Rex or I. Right? And so we want, like, it's your way of saying, like, hey, if there's an issue here, if I can't follow this man, then you let us know that. Like, we're asking for that um, from anyone. Right? Quickly, we're going we're gonna to look at, at something just super quick here to finish this up. In Acts 20 and in 1 Peter 5, we see a little bit of the role, and I, I spent a lot of time on who an elder is. And so I'm just going to read the first five verses of First Peter 5 real quick, where Peter writes this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly and as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, that an elder should never be arrogant or proud, that they should be seen as humble. That we see in verse 4 that we have a chief shepherd, Jesus. Colossians 1.18 says that he is the head of the church. We serve under him and we follow his leadership. And so sometimes you'll hear elders called like under shepherds, right? Like they are following under their shepherd. In Acts 20, Paul is writing to the, to the elders at the church of Ephesus, and he just says, hey, man, you keep praying and, and you look out for wolves because there's going to be people who try to come into the church and destroy it and to bring in false teachings and heresy and conflict. 
And so we're, gonna, we're not going to give this nearly the time it warrants, but I want to end with this, that here's what the role of the, the elder looks like. It's to feed, right? It's to make sure that, that they're handling right doctrine with patience and with grace, that they're pointing people to Jesus, right? And that they're able to call out false teachers when they come, that they're feeding the church. You know I've gone long when the kids start coming in. Um, that they're to know and so I want you to know this, that the elders, when we gather, we pray for you by name. Like, we don't want to just say, hey, you know the men at Redeemer? We call the men by name, the women by name, the kids by name. And so here's a, a, a brief thing here. There are multiple former um, guys in this room who have received paychecks from churches as elder or pastor. There are men in this room who have served as lay elders in other churches. And so it is not a knock on them if they're not currently an elder, right? There's, a, there's circumstances, there's fit, there's aspiration, but part of it is also you got to know the people, right? If you're going to shepherd the flock, you have to know the flock. And so just because someone has had a role somewhere else doesn't mean that we unilaterally say, hey, you don't know them, they're your shepherd now. That part of shepherding is knowing the people. It's feeding the people. It is protecting the people against dangers, against the enemy, against false teachings, and it's, it's guiding, right? That we serve by leading, by looking ahead. That they should be with you, they should know you, they should be eager to do it, that it is not a responsibility, a duty, right? But it is something they are eager to do, to serve, whether they are paid or not. And that by an example, they lead. They're not asking you to do something that they wouldn't. Look, I know we, we, we just kind of blitzed that last section. There's a lot we can talk about here. Um, and it's why we only did one core value this morning. Um, we just want to keep the conversation going, right? That if you're like, hey, this was all new to me, then I'm sorry because I know that was a fire hose. Um, but that we would be a church that is led by godly men who are following after Jesus. And that we would follow our chief shepherd, Jesus who is the senior pastor and the guy here. And no one else is the guy. He is. And that we would thank him this morning for the unity and the grace that he has poured out on this place. That we would not take it for granted, but that we would be grateful that he has done it. And would ask him to continue for our sake and for the sake of those who don't yet know Jesus, but are going to come to know Jesus this year at Redeemer. Right? Like that's what we're longing for and hoping for. Let me pray for us, and then the band is going to come up, um, and we will worship our King who is alive and hearing those prayers and these songs this morning.